All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I'm joined by Dave Cho, the head honcho over at the Falcoholic. We're going to be picking his brain about what the Falcons will do early in the draft and whether this team is preparing to move on from both Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans, and, of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode features a return of Dave Choate of the Falcoholic, and we're going to be getting Dave's thoughts on the Falcons' plans at the top of the draft. We'll get Dave's thoughts on whether or not what the Falcons did way back in 2008 when they selected Matt Ryan is potentially going to inform this new regime about what they should do in 2021. And we'll get into the conversation sort of put out there by Jeff Schultz of The Athletic talking about the Falcons' need to find a replacement for Matt Ryan at the quarterback position and potentially shopping Julio Jones via trade and, you know, that potential trade coming sooner rather than later. Uh, So we'll get into that. But we'll sort of kick things off really talking with Dave about sort of the big topic that's swirling over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, whenever you're listening to this, which is, you know, the, the raging debate about whether Juli, Jul, not Julio Edelman, Julian Edelman <laughs> is a Hall of Fame player. And obviously, we Falcon fans probably have stronger opinions about Julian Edelman's impact in this league than maybe many other people outside of the region of New England. So we'll get into that with Dave. And without further ado, let's jump into that conversation right now. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. Of course, I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and I am joined by my good friend, Dave Choate. We go way back talking Falcons, debating Falcons, and we're back for another bout here to talk about the Falcons draft plans. Dave, man, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back here for what might be the 50th time. We should really count these. Yeah, it's at least 35. It's at least 35. Last time I counted, it was at least 35, but that was probably like five shows ago. So we might be in the 40s now. I feel pretty distinguished. I really do. So it's good to be here. Look, you know, when I don't have anybody specific in mind, I can always call up Dave Cho and, and he's usually there for me. And that's how reliable you are. That's uh, I, I strive to be sort of the, the Julian Edelman of the show, if you will. <laughs> well, on that note, you know, we're going to get into the draft talk, but let's let's talk a little bit about the Julian Edelman Discourse, unless Dave, you you really have some uh, Ryan Becker thoughts uh, before we get started. I I have not a single Ryan Becker thought. Okay, well really we'll, we'll circle back to Ryan Becker when we get into the conversation about the draft because I think it really has a big impact on what the Falcons' draft plans are going to be. But let's talk about Julian Edelman. And I was telling you before we started recording, I used to think that Julian Edelman was underrated, and I remember writing this massive. Super Bowl preview several years ago. Uh, maybe you guys recall 
the Falcons being in the Super Bowl once upon a time, and writing like, hey, Julian Edelman's a really good player. He's going to be a tough matchup for the Falcons. Um, and, you know, he deserves some respect. I think people tend to write him off as, oh, he's just a white slot receiver. He's not any good. He's inflated by the system, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, fortunately, I think Robert Alford, you know, helped really shut him down and he'll never get credit for that. But I always thought Julian Edelman was underrated. And then shortly thereafter, after that Super Bowl, the following year, there started to be this momentum for Julian Edelman being a Hall of Famer. And it's like, okay, wait, wait, he was underrated. Now now you guys are way overrating him now that he's retired and he's had an illustrious career. I think certainly uh, been a, a crucial part of the Patriots success over the last, you know, five to seven years, but not a Hall of Fame player. I, I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on sort of the Julian Edelman discourse and how have we strayed so far from reality that we're talking about a guy that may have been, the 15th best wide receiver in the NFL during the height of his career now is considered apparently one of the 15 best receivers that's ever played a game. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a combination of a couple things. And, and living up here, obviously, I heard how good Edelman is. No, no shortage of times, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, when I look at him, it's, it's a combination of playing for the Patriots, you know, during kind of the height of their dynasty and being – considered a, a critical player on some really important teams, um, all of which is fair up to a point, but, you know, he's not dragging those teams to the Super Bowl himself. Um, I would like to think nobody thinks that. Um, and then you have, I, I think I read earlier that he leads all receivers in postseason yardage. Is that correct? He's either one or two. Yeah, he's up there. One or two. Yeah, and so, like, people – People do that a lot too, I think, where the, the importance of like playoff statistics, um, get a little bit inflated, right? Like again, Edelman was not bringing those, those teams there. He was along for the ride really with Brady and Belichick as good as he may have been. And I think people look at, you know, that postseason performance and then they look at what they want to think of him and, and how critical he was to the Patriots and say, well, he's, he's definitely a Hall of Famer and somebody, you know, and then you can take another receiver with similar numbers and be like, well, what did he do in the playoffs, which is something people love to do, I find. And it's silly. I, I can't think of a single really compelling reason you would ever think Edelman was the Hall of Famer, but it seems to me that's got to be what it is and, and maybe a little bit of nostalgia for what recently was since he just retired. I, th I think some of it has to be that people's in people's minds, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola and Wes Welker are all the same player. And I think people think that Edelman was there the entire time dur during the entire Patriot dynasty when he wasn't. Um, so I, I think people kind of have sort of conflate. I don't know. It's, it's weird to me how many people that are prominent voices, you know, in football, you know, that are on some of these big networks seem to believe this, to buy into this narrative. And it's, it's crazy to me. And, you know, I, I would get it from certain sectors of Twitter. I would understand it certainly from Boston media and, and whatnot, pushing that and maybe one or two outliers at ESPN or NFL network, you know, sort of pushing that narrative. But it just seems like so many people are like, yes, he's definitely a hall of famer. And it's like, what are we, what are we doing guys? Like is this is ridiculous. So I like Julian Mandelman a lot. Again, I thought he was underrated until I found out he was very much overrated. Um, and, you know, I, I think someone else, I think it was Jonathan Jones put it out 
that it's it's tough to have these conversations immediately after he's retired because everybody wants to talk about, is he a hall of famer? And we have to spend this time rather than, you know, celebrating a, a, a really solid career when you really look at it, um, given that he was a college quarterback and made the conversion to wide receiver and, you know, sort of stepped into Wes Welker's shoes thereafter. And again, was a productive player for the Patriots. And as, as you mentioned, you know, very reliable for them in January. Uh, so, you know, he had a solid career, but when we're talking about, you know, putting him in Canton with guys like Tim Brown and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Jerry Rice and eventually Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, you know, I mean, not Calvin Ridley, Calvin Johnson. No, I think you had it right. We can hope. Um, it just it just seems ridiculous to me. Uh, but uh, any any last thoughts before we move on? No, I think you're right on, on though, and that, that's an angle I hadn't considered. But yeah, it's very possible that, that in people's mind, like Wes Welker has been playing as Julian Edelman for 20 years or whatever it may be. They are the same person. I I, I believe that there's a kernel of truth to that for sure. And we will leave the Julian Edelman debate to rest. Hopefully it will never come up again on this podcast. Uh, I know some of you guys are still disgruntled over a certain play in that game that we just mentioned, but um, we will move on and talk about more topical, more current events. Like what the heck the Falcons are going to do in the draft here with Dave Choate of the Falcoholic. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the two, draft related podcast right here on the lockdown podcast network. Of course, I'm talking about the draft dudes podcast hosted by Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as well as locked on NFL draft with Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak. Find them both on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we know that the draft is going to be a pretty long weekend for those of us that are obsessed with it and will watch it all start to finish. But you know what you'll need in the middle of the draft, particularly on day three on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. You're going to need that protein boost, that energy boost, and of course, the perfect way to get that energy is with a built bar the best tasting protein bar out there on the market built bars are covered with 100% real chocolate so they taste just like a candy bar they come in great flavors like coconut almond and peanut butter caramel brownie cookies and cream and so much more and built bars they're not just tasty they're good for you as well they're low in sugar low in calories high in protein high in fiber just head over to builtbar.com use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your next order so that you can have the energy you need to watch every single pick in the 2021 nfl draft again promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off your next order at builtbar.com so as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast, I want to let you guys know that while I have everything covered as far as the Falcons, of course, you want to check out who's got you covered for the rest of sports and host Peter Bukowski has you covered now with the Locked On Today podcast. I'm sure the Julian Edelman debate will be a topic of conversation on the Locked On Today podcast. Get additional insights into that and all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Dave, we're talking about what the Falcons might do at the top of the draft. I put it to you. What do you think they will do? What do you think they should do? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think what they will do and what they should do is probably the same thing. And, and 
I say this with the confidence of a man who has an article probably by the time this is published coming out saying we have no idea what the Falcons are actually going to do. But um, I, I think it's going to be a quarterback, and I think it probably should be a quarterback at the end of the day. I think that, you know, if Fields is available, I, I think, first of all, they'd be foolish to pass on him because I think he's a terrific player. But um, I think even if it's, you know, Fields goes one pick before them, they should and will strongly consider Trey Lance at that spot. And I, I think really it's because, you know, Terry Fontenot has talked about hopefully not being in this position again anytime soon. He's talked about, you know, how important it is that they stack quarterbacks, as he said today, which made me think of Tetris, which was a funny visual. Um, but, you know, I think that there is a sense from Fontenot, and I think maybe he's got to convince Arthur, Arthur Smith of this a little bit, but that Matt Ryan, for reasons that are related to contract or age or whatnot, um, you know, won't be here and playing hopefully at the level that they, they think he's going to play this year, you know, three years from now. And they want to have their next guy lined up. They don't want to be the next franchise that falls into the, you know, sort of post-great quarterback era without an option in place. And, and I think that you can make a strong argument for several other options there. And I think nothing will really surprise me. I think a trade down, if it's compelling enough and they truly aren't in love with, you know, who's available at number four for them is a possibility. But to me, it feels like even though it's going to be unpopular in some quarters for sure, and it doesn't address some key needs this year, that quarterback pick is probably going to be the one they want. Yeah. You know, I've said to folks, no matter what the Falcons do with this draft pick, there's going to be some people that aren't happy about it. Um, I'll ask you the question I've asked several others. How likely do you think it is for them to trade back? I feel like for me personally, they would love someone to blow them away with some monster offer, multiple first round picks so that they can basically not have to sort of fall on the sword, so to speak, and say, look, this was an offer we couldn't refuse. This allows us to get a player maybe later in the draft at a position of need and also puts us in a position where we're set up to be able to go get our quarterback in the future should we feel compelled to do so. You look at a team like the Lions, who I think I heard have five or yeah, yeah, five first round picks over the next three years. Um, So um, they're in a position where when they decide to move on from Jared Goff, they should have the ammunition to do so. Um, how likely do you feel like a trade back is for the Falcons? Yeah. And I think that's a tough question for me not to be squirrely about it because I don't know what the, what the offers are. Right. And and I think to your point, they would love for someone to blow them away. I don't think that they're going to take, you know, a, a modest return just because they're scared of, you know, who they're going to wind up with at number four. So it, it's to me, it's how, how desperate the teams are that are going to make them offers, which I think they've already talked offers with several teams, if I had to guess, um, you know, and is, you know, Denver with a new GM, are they going to make that big swing that would keep the Falcons in the top 10, but their return might not be as impressive. Or are we getting sort of a Dan Snyder special and you got to move quite a ways for that. I, I think if the offer that they end up getting the most impressive offer they get gives them, um, you know, a future first, not only next year, but the year after. I I think they will probably jump on that unless they are absolutely in love with the quarterback available to them. Um, I think anything less than that um, 
to me that it means they're not going to move. So I'd put the chances at maybe like 33% because I, I don't see a team today as much as I might like to think that team exists, that it's going to give up, you know, the kind of draft capital I think the Falcons would need to feel really compelled to move away from a golden opportunity to pick the very best player available after those three quarterbacks, which is where they're at. Um, so I, I think the only thing that gives me pause is not knowing, you know, who's going right in front of them at number three. Now you mentioned the, the key phrase that we all love to mention is best player available. And I think it's interesting when you look back, Oh, so many years in 2008, the last time the Falcons had a new head coach, a new general manager, they took Matt Ryan. And I think the argument you would have made then, however, is the best player available at that point in time, at least the perception was, was Glenn Dorsey. And Matt Ryan was more of the need pick. And Matt Ryan was a much more polarizing prospect than I think a lot of people today realize. Like, I think the perception of Matt Ryan in 2008 is comparable to the perception of Mac Jones now in, in 2021. Uh, for those who may be too young to recall, uh, I'm, I'm curious if you agree with that, Dave. But I'm curious, sort of looking back at that 2008 draft, how does that sort of inform your perception of what the Falcons are going to do this year? Yeah, and I, I think that the the Mac Jones comparison is an apt one. Um, I know for me, as, as a avowed Glenn Dorsey lover all these years later, um, you know, I my perception of Matt Ryan watching a lot of his games um, at Boston College was that I was really concerned about, you know, his, his physical tools. I was concerned about the number of turnovers he had, how he played under pressure. So certainly if, if you had, um, you know, teleported me back and forward in time a little bit, I, I would probably look at Mac Jones and say, yeah, he looks like the Matt Ryan I'm afraid of here in 2008. So I, I think that's an apt comparison. And I think the thing that was working for Matt Ryan is there weren't, you know, four other really good quarterbacks in that yeah. class. Wait, you're not a fan of Andre Woodson, Brian Baum, Chad Henney, and Joe Flacco like that? I was a Joe Flacco fan. I will admit that. You know, I, I certainly will admit that. Um, you saw the hair game I, on point oh so many years ago? Yeah, it, it was it was beautiful. It's always been beautiful. Um, but I, I do think, you know, 2008, it, had 2008 not happened, my perception of this pick might be looking at the way that the Matt Ryan selection, you know, transformed this franchise, really. I mean, we remember how consistently crummy the Falcons were pre-2008, and, you know, they've been crummy for a few years now, so that's that's harder to remember, but they, they were as successful as they've ever been um, early on in Ryan's tenure, in the middle of Ryan's tenure, and he's been you know, thanks to skill, longevity, whatever you want to call it, he's been the best quarterback in franchise history. And so to me, looking at that and, and knowing that they picked the quarterback and they were able to build the team around him that was very successful and it was a fast track back to convention for a struggling team, I think they'll look at that historical example. I don't think it's the most important piece they're looking at um, and, and see a lot of parallels, really. And, and I think that you know, for me, quarterback is so critical and the opportunity, you know, to take a guy that you might really love because you're in this draft position, just it doesn't come along that often. It's happened, you know, twice in the last 15 years now. 
So I think looking back at that does inform us that the Falcons are probably going to be very tempted to do the same thing and try to secure, you know, their next Matt Ryan, even if this Matt Ryan certainly isn't, you know, cooked or anything yet, but he's, you know, it's hard to know if he's part of their long-term plans. And, you know, given the amount of talk about quarterback, I have to think they're, they're looking back at 2008 and saying, we got to, we got to do something similar. Yeah, and and I think the the real key and the real unknown in this is it, it really boils down, as you mentioned, to how much they like these quarterbacks. If they kind of look at these guys, like you know, one example, uh, not to say that this is the, the way it is, but like Justin Fields, maybe they absolutely love Justin Fields. But if the Forty ers take him off the board and they look at Trey Lance and they say, oh, "We like Trey Lance, but like we don't love Trey Lance," you know. And that may allow them to be tempted to go in another direction. Maybe that's the scenario where they would definitely explore trading back, even if it wasn't for, you know, the the Buku first round picks that they potentially covet. So I I think that's going to be the hard part to decipher. And obviously we'll find out Thursday night and whoever they wind up picking, they will say this guy was, you know, number one on our board. This guy was the guy that we were planning on getting as all teams do. Uh, so it'll be interesting to sort of see how it all plays out. I'm just uh, along for the ride. But you talk about, you know, whether Matt Ryan, you know, his longevity and uh, our, our good buddy Jeff Schultz over at The Athletic wrote an editorial, I guess you could call it, where he talked about the Falcons needing or at least should need to look to the future to replace Matt Ryan, as well as explore the possibility of trading Julio Jones. And I want to pick Dave's brain on that subject as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, we don't often plug the NHL side of the Locked on Podcast Network here, but today we will because the NHL just had their trade deadline and find out which teams you know, we're the big movers and shakers by subscribing to your favorite NHL team's daily podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. So Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. And while the NFL, March Madness, and the Masters may be over, the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, FCS, college football are all in full swing. And of course, Major League Baseball is back, baby. And it's not just sports, since Bet Online even covers awards TV shows and reality TV. Get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, because Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So before we get into the conversation about finding Matt Ryan's replacement and trading Julio Jones at Jeff Schultz's suggestion, I do want to let you guys know that we're talking about who the Falcons may take at the top of this draft, but definitely want to tune in not only to 
who the Falcons will take, but what the other teams at the top of the draft are going to take on the ultimate mock draft 2021 part of the lockdown podcast network, starting on April 19th, running through the 26th, you're going to get great analysis from various NFL experts, including myself, Michael Irvin, Jason Lockham for Michael Lombardi, and you'll get the insights from local experts like myself. And you can check out the locked on ultimate mock draft 2021 on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts odyssey is your audio home for all the sports podcasts music and news that matter to you that's odyssey a-u-d-a-c-y so dave let's talk about what jeff schultz wrote on tuesday over at the athletic talking about the falcons needing to find matt ryan's replacement possibly exploring a julio jones trade uh even before the draft, you know, I've sort of thought all along this offseason that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones were almost certain to be on the Falcons roster come week one this year. I thought Julio was maybe a little iffy. Um, and given the need for the Falcons to free up some cap space uh, to sign their rookies after this draft, you could look at a possible post-June trade of Julio Jones as a cheap and easy way to free up salary cap. That's something that Tori McElhaney, Jeff's uh, cohort over at The Athletic, wrote about already this month. Um, I'm curious, sort of, what are your thoughts on the idea of the not only the Falcons looking to move on from those guys, whatever the timeline is on that, um, and whether or not that's going to be a priority for this new regime going into this draft to kind of come out of this draft, whether we're talking about quarterback, whether we're talking about a big time receiver or even a tight end like Kyle Pitts, is it going to, do you feel like it's going to be a priority for this regime to at least have an option, a, a, a down the road option, at least at one of those positions, if not both of those positions secured, uh, by the time we get to, you know, two, three weeks from now. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about the team. You know, certainly they would love to have the cap space going forward that they would get if they, they did, you know, move on from Julio um, kind of post June 1st. But I, I'm skeptical that will happen this year for sure. I, I think that, you know, Arthur Smith at least has to be like, please do not hang me out to dry in my first year here by trading Julio Jones and drafting um, – a quarterback at the same time, but you know, I, I do think it'll be a priority for them because for Fontenot in this front office, you know, it, those attachments just aren't there. Um, as a fan, obviously, I don't love the thought of you know, like intellectually, I can say, yeah, you need to replace both of these guys, you probably need to think about doing it sooner than later, uh, especially with Julio. It, it's not a fun thought, it's not something I relish thinking about, but you know, Fontenot doesn't have to think that way, won't think that way. And I very much think that they want to, you know, have those options in hand going forward, um, you know, because of the amount of, of space that you can free up and potentially start your new era with um, by making those moves is so huge. So I, I think that ideally, you know, whether it is, you know, a chase or a pits at number four and a quarterback later that maybe you can groom for a little bit or trade down to maybe hit both of those positions a little bit more effectively this year with some additional picks. Yeah. I think those options will, will be in place. I think they will make a, a strong effort 
to not only give themselves the quarterback of the future, but to, to give themselves another wide receiver option. Because I think one thing that we can easily forget too is I don't think Calvin Ridley's going anywhere, but Russell Gage is not guaranteed to come back beyond this year um, either. And so if you're going to move on from, from Julio and Gage, you, you can't just have Calvin Ridley, especially if you're not, if you're trying to bring along a new quarterback um, in 2022. So in my mind, that's one of their big priorities. I think maybe more so than addressing some of the immediate needs that I'd really like them to hit, like safety, like left guard. Um, so I would be surprised if they did not come out of this draft class with a really compelling option for one of those spots and a halfway decent future one for the other. And, and I think that beyond 2021, as I think we've said for a while now, all bets are off for both those guys. Yeah, and you can throw Hayden Hurst in that because he's in a contract year. Should he not get the fifth year option uh, in over the next you know three weeks uh, till that deadline, so there is some potential turnover at that receiver position, um, which I think is is one of the reasons why I have stated many times that I think you know from from really the outset of the all season that I thought the Falcons would with this fourth overall pick, take either a quarterback or a pass catcher. And that pass catcher at this point in time, looking more like Kyle Pitts than necessarily Jamar Chase. Um, in, in large part due to the fact that I think the Falcons wanted to have a long-term replacement for one of those guys. And obviously the value of the quarterback is, you know, obvious to everyone and what that player can potentially be. But I think the thing about Kyle Pitts, the thing that makes him intriguing is he has the potential to be a player similar to Julio Jones, which I think you can kind of build your offense around. You know, I always say Julio Jones is the sun and the gravity of the Falcons offense revolves around him. He keeps all the planets in their orbit, so to speak. And while I am a big fan of Calvin Ridley, I just don't think he's going to be that type of player. I think he can certainly be a top 10, top 15 type of wide receiver, but more in that sort of T.Y. Hilton, Amari Cooper level of player, which is really good but may not be the guy that's going to be drawing brackets and, and double teams and, and creating opportunities for other players. I think Kyle Pitts has the potential to be that type of weapon. And I think that's one of the reasons why you can be somewhat attracted to him. But that being said, like with Julio, and as you say, Dave, you know, no one wants Julio to go anywhere, but I think sort of on an intellectual level, I think you put it perfectly understanding sort of the business aspect of this and, hearing Thomas Dimitrov go on the Rich Eisen show over the weekend and, and talking about when the Falcons did those contracts with Matt Ryan a couple of years ago and Julio Jones a couple of years ago, it was fully intent on making those guys Falcons for life until they decided to retire. But obviously the team's lack of success on the football field, you know, led to the people that were willing to do that, um, you know, to not be in the building anymore. And now you have a new group of people in that may want to bring in their own guys. All that to say, like, you know, I've been talking a lot this off season about this year being probably the last year of Julio's time in Atlanta. I'm just wondering sort of, do you sort of see this as potentially the last year of Julio Jones in Atlanta? And if yes um, or no, you know, what sort of scenario do you imagine needs to happen. Do you, do we need to see Julio Jones have this monster year and, and put up another 1400 plus yard season? And then the powers that be say, look, we might've been 
pushing in that direction to move on from Julio Jones, but he's too good for us to, to, to move on from, you know, put on your prognosticator hat and sort of look ahead to what you think could or should or will happen this year as far as Julio's future. Yeah, I think it'll take, I do think it's probably his last year unless certain things happen. I think this team really being successful with Ryan and Julio this year with Arthur Smith at the helm, I think would go a long way toward that. Um, because I, I think we, we don't know for sure that this is Matt Ryan's last year either. with sort of his cumbersome cap hit next year. I know they can save about half of that by moving on at the right time, but it's not a hundred percent. So if Julio is a huge part of this team's success next year, maybe Ridley doesn't take that additional step forward, even though he took a major one this past year, you know, maybe you say to yourself, especially if you don't go get a chase or a Kyle Pitts or, or somebody else, um, was kind of a critical piece of the pass catching group. Then you say, all right, we, we need another year of Julio. We're contenders. Um, and this is important, but I think in addition to sort of having a great year, I think he needs to have a healthy year, right? Because in my mind, another nine or 10 game season from Julio, even if it's sort of peak Julio, while he's healthy tells you that this is sort of what you can expect from him going forward, which is, as great as he is and as much of a competitor as he is, he cannot give you 15, 16 games, even on a limited, uh, somewhat limited snap count anymore. And if that's the case, I, I think that'll kind of seal it for them, right? To say, you know, we can move on from Julio Jones. We kind of have to, and we need to get younger and, you know, diversify our options there. So I think the Julio's best case to stick around is this being a successful team, him having a very good year and him sort of bouncing back from last year to, to play almost every game or every game. And I, I think that combination of factors could keep him here beyond 2022. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it's hard to know how likely that is because as great as Julio is, can he be healthy? Now you, you talk about him and Matt Ryan needing to have, productive years this year and good seasons and, and maybe their long-term status is tied to team success. I, I guess I'll ask you the question and, you know, we don't know what exactly the schedule is going to be. We don't know who exactly they're going to get in the draft. So there are still some unknowns and moving parts to this, but you know, I've seen a lot of people sort of very opinionated say, Oh, this team is going to be bad this year. You have the opposite end of the spectrum where a lot of people really expect Arthur Smith and Dean Pease to really do wonders for this team and, and think this team could be competitive at the higher levels in the league and a playoff team. I'm curious sort of where do you sort of fall on that spectrum or are you like me where it's like, Hey, you know, they, they have a relatively low floor, but I think they have a, a relatively high ceiling as well. You know, time will tell. And uh, where do you sort of rest on, on this team's potential in 2021? Yeah, I think to me, they're not going to be as bad as this past year. I, I you know, That'll come back and bite me if they are, of course. But yeah. I, I think that in my mind, and, and I know that there's a lot of sharp disagreement out there about who's really at fault for the way this offense has declined, and, and whether it's sort of Matt Ryan's decline in the personnel piece or whether it was Dirk Cutter. And, and I think you you know that I am not a member of the Dirk Cutter fan club, and I think that the, the upgrade to Arthur Smith is going to be really significant. And I think that that plus what I hope is a, is a draft class that brings in some useful pieces on offense will go a long way. And we, we've seen this Falcons team 
be very competitive in the past with frankly lousy defenses um, and, and pretty solid offenses. So I, I feel like to me their floor is maybe a couple games under 500. Except we can't say 500 anymore, which yeah. is tripping me up. I got to get used to that. Um, but whatever the percentage is, I, I think that that's sort of their floor. And I think they can be a very good team this year. I think that so much of it is going to depend on whether, you know, shaking up the coaching on defense makes enough of a difference because you're not going to add a lot of elite pieces to that side of the ball um, this year. I, I think that that much is clear, even with nine picks, you'd have to really get lucky, um, especially if you're not, as it looks likely taking a defender with your number four pick. Um, you really would have to get very fortunate to pick up enough pieces to make this defense better than it was last year on paper. And in my mind, they'll go further because the offense can carry them, but the defense will have to be coaching and a big bounce back from guys like Fowler, you know, huge growth from Terrell, et cetera. So, you know, that ceiling to me is, is high if they can get that to work. But obviously my expectations for that are not, you know, a hundred percent at all, but I think expecting them to be around 483 or 515 or whatever it may be, I think is, is where I, I, where I would put their floor this year. Um, maybe that's overly optimistic, but, in my mind, that offense can go nowhere but up. Uh, I I would agree with you on that. I I am probably a little, you know, it's not to say I don't care about what they do with this first round pick, but I've sort of made peace with the idea that regardless of what direction they go, it's not going to have a massive impact on this upcoming season, especially if it's a quarterback. Um, and so I, I'm really a little bit more invested in seeing sort of how much of an upgrade in the coaching that Arthur Smith and, and Dean Pease are. That, that's certainly been the narrative um, from a lot of folks. And I certainly think things are potentially in their favor and we'll see if they play out that way uh, where, you know, just by playing a softer schedule, they should be probably two, at least two or three wins better this year uh, based off of that. And just, you know, certain things regressing to the mean, potentially adding a couple more wins in their book, but really, you know, if they are going to be a serious playoff team, um, it's going to depend heavily on on Arthur Smith and Dean Pease being a significant schematic upgrade and, and the players that the Falcons, that they are inheriting, uh, you know, sort of really, you know, meshing very quickly with that. So I'm eager to see if that's going to happen much more so than necessarily um, you know, what they do in two weeks, obviously it's exciting. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun to hear, to listen to all these podcasts and go on all the networks and hear people talking about the, who the Falcons are going to take as the team that's, you know, quote unquote, you know, controlling the draft, so to speak. Um, and so it's definitely exciting. Um, but, uh, we'll just sort of have to see how it all plays out. And obviously I'll be talking about it. You'll be talking about it. I'll let the people know, you know, what you got coming for them over at the Falcoholic in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be basically all draft all the time, right? We'll we'll be trying to figure out why Mel Kuyper thinks the Dolphins are going to trade up again. Um, we're going to be talking again about, you know, how little we actually know um, at this point about what the team's plans are and what that might mean. And then just breaking down sort of the big three scenarios that we see now, which is, you know, what does it mean if they take quarterback what does it mean if they take the best player available whether that's Kyle Pitts or an Asul or someone else entirely 
And what does it mean if they, they do make that massive trade down and get those pieces? So just looking forward to talking about it for a couple of weeks and then seeing how much time we wasted on the scenarios that don't come to fruition. So it'll be fun. Always enjoy it. Always enjoy it. You know, the AJ Epinesa, Kalevon Chason debate that raged for two months really wound up being very, very important that we got to the bottom of that battle last off season, um, you know, for the Falcons ultimate draft pick. So I'm certain there will certainly be some conversations that people have been fighting about for the last couple of months that will be deemed unimportant in the, in the end, but uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Dave, I, I, you know, I appreciate you coming on and I look forward to our future conversation when we do know the answers to some of these questions that we have uh, post draft and get your thoughts on what the Falcons actually did and sort of what, you know, they finally put the debate to rest and, uh, you know, into the civil war, although probably within un easy truce uh, among Falcon fans. So looking forward to that, my friend. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks for having me. And uh, in the meantime, we'll just talk about Julian Edelman and uh, Ryan Becker, whatever his name is. I don't, is that, am I even getting the name right? Is that who we signed? It is Ryan Becker. And, and I'm just looking at the comments on my site and, and someone took umbrage to the fact that I said that he's probably competing for a job this summer. So things are just going great with Falcons fans. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time. Yeah. And it's probably not going to go away. <laughs> no, it is absolutely not. We got another year of this. This is, this is, it's going to be a tough year. That's what I will say. We, we escaped 2020 only to fall into the Falcons fans of war of 2021. So while the rest of the world is healing, Falcons world is not necessarily, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Dave, appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys, there you have it. Dave Choate, Falcoholic. And of course, tomorrow we'll be back for another episode, this time with our good friend Trevor Sykema of the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. And we're going to take a deep dive into Kyle Pitts, as well as Trevor's thoughts on what the Falcons should do at the top of this year's draft. If you have any feedback that you want to provide me about anything I talked about or Dave talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.